We are continuing through our sermon series on the book of Exodus. Anybody, uh, is this anybody's favorite book in the Bible? Three, four people, okay. Anybody old enough to have seen the Charlton Heston version of uh, the Old Testament Exodus, where the very Charlton Heston in his very Charlton Heston way says, let my people go, right? And, or my favorite version of this story, it's only half the story, but is the, um, the animated DreamWorks version, uh, The Prince of Egypt. Honestly, it's a cartoon, but that's probably like in my five top five movies. Every time I watch it, I'm like crying, especially when he, he experiences the burning bush and God appears to him and overwhelms him and overcomes Moses. It's just a beautiful story. And um, here's some things why we're going through the book of Exodus. What, what it's, the temptation it is to do is to look at the book of Exodus and go, oh, it's just like this historical story, and then we're going to learn some cool things that happened to the Israelites thousands of years ago, and then we're going to go like, that's cool. Well, that's not really what we're trying to do with this sermon series, because some of us here this morning would say, well, why not, why not a sermon series on parenting or spiritual growth or, you know, I'm going through anxiety or there's, there's social injustice happening in the world. How can we you know, be better equipped to do that? Or how can, you know, we be better evangelists? Or I'm dealing with this kind of thing in my life. Kelly, why don't we go through a sermon series that deals specifically about this life issue? And what I love about the book of Exodus is it does all of that. Remember the, the theme of Exodus is God drawing his people out of slavery and bringing them into freedom. And so for you and me, you and I, this morning, are the Israelites. There are areas in our lives where God is drawing us out of sin and darkness and slavery over to things that hold us so tight. And what God is doing, he's taking us out of that and he's bringing us into freedom. He's bringing us into deeper relationship with him. And so no matter what your life issue is this morning, if it's anxiety or a relationship that is difficult, or your finances, or you're not trusting God, or whatever it is, etc., let's look at the book of Exodus this morning. It's not a historical kind of story that's good for them, and, you know, maybe there's some, like, supernatural exciting things that we can get, you know, all energetic about. No, let's look at it and go, God, what are the areas of my life that you are calling me out of and bringing me into? And we said last week as well that it's, it's kind of the easier part is the drawing out, right? Where God says, all right, I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to bring the Israelites out. If you know anything about the story, spoiler alert, we're going to get there, but you see the years where God has to, so to speak, get Egypt out of Israel. It was easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it was the difficult part for Israel to get the Egypt out of their heart, right? And that's the process of what God's doing in us. There's things that we acclimate, that we assimilate in this world, and there's parts of Egypt inside us. And what God is constantly doing for you and me this morning, and as we continue our Christian uh, journey, is that he's drawing the bits of Egypt out of us. The hard part is where we want to like, don't take that one. Don't, oh, no, 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 don't take that. No, 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 I like this. This brings me comfort. I, this is what I know. And so we hold on to those things. And so what I would ask of you this morning, that as we read, as we unfold, 
the story that we're about to read is to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I, I surrender my life to you. And yes, there's things that I long for, my flesh desires. These are the things I know. Lord, I'm going to like open-handedly just surrender all of who I am to you so that you can get the Egypt out of my heart. So can we do that together this morning? Why don't we, before we dive into our scripture, why don't we just pray that and just say, God, I mean, I'm going to identify one area this morning, but there may be, there's multiple areas in all of us that we need to surrender. So let's just pray and allow the Holy Spirit just to work in our hearts. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it transforms us and it makes us more like your son, Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come this morning and minister to our hearts. We all know that maybe that one thing that it's hard to let go of, that we know we're supposed to let go of, but it's hard to trust you at times. And I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you come and will you, by your grace, help us to not clench, not to hold white-knuckle those things in our lives that we hold on to, and to trust you and to surrender. Will you bring transformation in our hearts this morning? Will you change us? It's no point of coming here on a Sunday, singing about you, listening to your words, sitting under the authority of your scripture, and then just leaving here the same. God, we don't want to be the same when we go back home today. So will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, change us, transform us, make us more like the sun, and help us to loosen our grip on the things that you're calling to let, to, for us to let go of. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. We are still in chapter one, uh, but last week we, were, we read the first seven verses, and if you remember, there was this promise that God had spoken to the nation of Israel, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where we see Adam and Eve, they sin, they, uh, you know, Eve, it was Eve first, by the way, who bit the fruit, uh, but Adam advocated his authority, he just was like, God comes to him and goes, what the heck happened? And, and then Adam says, it was this woman you gave me who uh, did this thing, right? Um, but we know that they both partake, partook in sin. And so God comes and he, he prophesies over them basically and he says very specifically in chapter 3 that the serpent will bruise the heel of the Savior, but the heel of the Savior will crush the head of the serpent. And so God institutes this promise already. And then we jump over to Genesis chapter 12 and speaks about this promise of blessing Abraham and his, his, his seed and he's this old man, he has no kids, but God tells him you're going to be the father of many nations, and then we, we uh, fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years later, and all of a sudden, the, the descendants of Abraham have moved into Egypt, and there were 70 of them at this time. And here's where we're going to pick up this morning, where they have, since 70 people in their family have multiplied. So let's look at verse 8, and we'll read all the way to 22. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. 
Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Verse 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua. That's a beautiful name, Pua. She must have smelled nice. Verse 16, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Let me just pause here for a moment. Remember how we talked about the grand narrative of Scripture? Do you remember how we spoke about how there's a, there's a song playing in Scripture that you can hear over and over? Does this um, little thing here where the king is trying to get rid of all the male boys uh, sound familiar to anybody else in the room? Remember the story of Jesus before? So Herod says, let's kill all the boys. You'll hear this song over and over where the enemy tries to take out the authority of God, tries to take out the Savior of mankind. And here we see it again. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead, didn't I? Sorry, okay. Verse 16, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Ooh, burn, right? For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. I mean, these are some stout chicks, okay? <laughs> they, they just are like, I don't know if you've ever uh, been in the hospital, you as a, as a mom or as a dad, and your wife's about to give birth. And your wife's like, I need to get this baby out, right? And the nurse is like, hold on, hold on. The doctor's not here yet. These Hebrew ladies were like, I don't give a rip. <laughs> Come on out, right? So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the... Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but commanded all his people. What a wicked and perverse society that they have come to this, that every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Ugh. That's some heavy stuff that's going on for the Israelites. Imagine, imagine being this people. You're, you, I mean, we talked about the promise of God, that they're all hoping and believing, that God would make them a, a mighty nation, and they're starting to see this take place. And it's this moment where they're like, this is happening. The promise of God is taking place. Look it. There's... I mean, the, the, a lot of theologians would estimate there's about 2.5 to 3 million people, 600,000 men 
They went from 70 people total to almost 3 million. They, I mean, they're like rabbits, right? They're just like, <laughs> boom. And they're starting to see this, like, I don't even know. I have like second, third, fourth, fifth, ninth, twentieth cousins. And I don't even, we're so big, I don't even know everybody's name. So we need to start naming everybody the same thing, right? David, if you're, just Yeshua. They are exploding. And they're saying, this is happening. And then what happens? Oppression hits these people. And we're not talking just kind of like, oh, it's hard to live in a society where Chick-fil-A is criticized. We're talking about a society that any citizen of Egypt, first boy, if you have a male baby, you're walking and they can just grab that baby and chuck it in the river. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you fight back, your family's gonna get, it's gonna get worse. This is brutal stuff. Now, I don't know about you and me, or you, but when I read this story, part of me goes, God, what the heck? What's happening here? What are you doing? How can you have this promise? How can you be this sovereign God? How can you be in total control of what's happening and let all this tragedy happen to these, your promised people? I mean, if it, was, if it was modern day, it would be the UN getting involved. It would be every single community, every single country up in uprage. It would be posted on social media. All the, all the um, allies would be getting together. How can we get this evil dictator out of this country? Because he's, they're throwing babies in the water. Where is God? What is happening? And I know that there's situations maybe not like that specifically in our lives here this morning, but there's things in our lives that we're dealing with and we may be asking that same question. God, where are you? What are you doing? Can I just get real personal with you this morning? Some of you know my dad's sick. And this was really unexpected. Um, but we learned a couple weeks ago that he has leukemia. My dad is a godly man. He loves Jesus. He was a great father to me. He's, he's one of those dads that when he visits with the grandkids, he's on the floor playing horsey. He's, he's the hands-on grandpa, right? He makes like cheesy jokes that the older kids are like, ugh, you know, grandma. He's, I think I've told you the story before. Where there was a moment where him and I would catch a bunch of bees, shake up the jar, and open the jar and we'd run. And that's fun stuff, right? <laughs> now you see why I am the way I am. <laughs> and when I got the news that my dad, came, uh, I don't know what you say, contrived or what, it, got cancer, um, part of me was like, what the heck, God? This is a godly man. He loves you. He's a great dad. He's a great grandfather. Why, why is this happening to him? This isn't fair. God, you said, you said you were going to bless me. You said that my, my family will be blessed. You said that we're going to grow, we're going to increase. And often what we do with Christianity is we think that it, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, Jesus, that our lives somehow will magically just get easier and better. 
but we've never been promised that. What we have been promised is that, yes, heartache, hardship will come, but Jesus will never leave us or forsake us in the midst of that. And so I hold on to that promise. God, my dad is sick. I don't know why. Does he deserve it? Not necessarily. Yes, he's a sinner, just like all of us, but God, why would this happen? But I'm going to trust you in the midst of my dad's sickness that you are a good God and that you're in control. And that's where Israel found themselves. And I want to suggest to us this morning that the one thing that God is calling us to in the light of the scripture to let go of, to draw us out of, and bring us into is this idea of pride that we hold on to when we don't understand the way things are going and step into the way of God's providence. God's calling us out of pride and into providence. Sounds like a Jane Austen <laughs> book. Pride and Providence. I actually watched the uh, fake version of that this week, Pride and Providence Zombies, to see if it had anything to do, Pride and Prejudice, and it has nothing to do with the sermon, so you're welcome. So you rest at ease. What is providence? I mean, it's something that we say often like, oh, that's the providence of God. You know, oh, that was providential. But we don't really understand. Let me, let me just break down what this idea of providence is. It comes from the, the root word to provide, so that's where we get providence, which means to supply what is needed. And it is the idea that God sees to whatever needs to be done. You ever have anybody like your boss or somebody in authority say, or you watch a movie where there's like uh, a centurion and he's telling his little Roman soldier like, go see to it, right? Yes, my Lord. And then they walk off, right? Um, or your boss says, hey, see to the fact that, will you make sure this happens? And that's what the providence of God is, is that he is in control of everything and he sees to his will. Now, this idea of seeing to means that God is intimately involved in the details. Remember last week, we said we're not deists. We don't believe that God just started the universe and then stands back and kind of like lets us figure it out. He sees to it. God is providentially involved in our lives. I love this truth about providence. God will not sh uh, shortcut the process. God will not shortcut the process. Now, that is a comforting fact, but it's also a little bit of a scary fact. Because we're going to see here, God doesn't sh shortcut the process with Israel. Remember all the promises that he says? You're going to be this, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be a mighty nation, etc., etc., so why, God, are they going through this hardship? Why, God, are they suffering? Why, God, are the Egyptians just willy-nilly be able to take a baby boy and throw him in the, in the Nile River and nobody can do anything about it? Because there's a process that God's bringing them through, as hard as it is. God will even use wicked people like Pharaoh to bring about, bring about his purposes and his plans and his ways. These are some jagged pills to swallow this morning. Let me read this. The Heidelberg Catechism describes the providence of God as such. It says, 
the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that the herbs and grass, the rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. For what purpose? The Catechism continues and says that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Man, that's so good. I wish I could memorize that and print that on my heart because times are tough sometimes, but times will get tough. And if I don't understand this truth about who God is, the pride in me rises up and wants to reject his providence. So, Kelly, what you're saying is you mean that God will not just use the fruitful times in my life, he'll also use famine? Kelly, what you're saying is God will not just use the wealthy times, he'll use the times where I'm without, not just the times of of health, but the times of sickness, the times of not just like freedom, but also oppression, yes, God will use it to his goodwill. Spurgeon says this, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. Listen to this, and when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. God, I don't see your hand in this. Sometimes it's super clear, it's like, what do we do when blessing comes? When our bank account's full? Like, if I were to go to the ATM and think, am I going to win or lose? You know, when I put the money, <laughs> what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, the bank statement rolls out and goes, by the way, not only did you win, but there's $4 million in there. I don't know how it happened, but praise the Lord, I can see God's hand on my finances. Right? What about when you lose when you put the ATM card in there? And it just, hey, how come it took my card? How come I didn't get it back? And you lose, game over. Is God still God? Is God still among us? It's so easy sometimes to trace the hand of God when we see blessing. But in those times where we don't see it, it's where we have to trust his heart, that he's doing something bigger. I'm going to give us three things I think providence is displayed in this, this scripture this morning. And I think God in his providence, God in his sovereignty, God in his all-knowing wisdom allowed suffering to happen, oppression to happen for the nation of Israel. And here's why I think why. So number one, the providence of God is seen in suffering for sanctification. The Israelites had acclimated and assimilated into the Egyptian culture. What they were doing at this moment in history is what, I don't know if you remember, but last week we, wrote this, we read the story of Joseph saying, hey, when I die, take my bones out of Egypt and go into a, come back to Canaan, to the promised land. 
But the, the Israelites got way too comfortable. They got way too just like living up the good life on the side of the Nile. There's, there's water, there's fish, there's food. The Egyptian, the Egyptian uh, nation is mighty. It's the strongest nation in all of the world at the moment. Why shouldn't we just stay here? This seems pretty cool. And God, in his providence, allows suffering to happen to sanctify the nation of Israel. This word sanctify means to set apart, to make them different. And they had slowly started to amalgamate into the Egyptian culture. Uh, Spurgeon says this, In all probability, if they had been left to themselves, they would have been melted and absorbed into the Egyptian race and lost their identity as God's special people. Why, God? Why are we suffering? You said that we will be blessed. I'm allowing suffering to happen in your life because I want to make you separate. Don't you find that true in your life? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not personally like going through disease at the moment, but my dad is. And this, I, this understanding in my heart has caused me to see there's more of a separation that I need to experience from me and the world. I think my dad's experiencing it too. God's providence doesn't just sanctify us with, through suffering, but the suffering also causes us to long for a savior, suffering for salvation. Just, we skipped over this part of the story. Uh, we didn't read it yet, actually, but there's a moment here in chapter two where you see the birth of Moses. You see him, he's put in the basket, he's sent down the river, he grows up as an Egyptian prince, and he, uh, he knows he's a Hebrew, obviously because, I'm not trying to be crass or anything, but he was circumcised. The Egyptians weren't circumcised, so all he had to do was you know, see the reality of that. And so he knew he was a Hebrew child. And with that understanding, he starts to see an Israelite being, being punished. And he takes matters in his own hands and he kills the Egyptian who is beating on the Israelite. And I don't know about you, but there's an interesting... A portion of scripture where he sees two Israelites arguing and they come back and they revile him and said, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Who made you the prince? Who made you the judge? If you were an Israelite person who wanted a savior and you saw them kill one of the bad guys, I would be like, yes, awesome. This is the beginning but they don't do that. And it's interesting to me, I think what God's doing is he's allowing the suffering to take place to draw them to a place where they need and they know that they need a Savior. And so often many of us here this morning, our lives are comfortable, it's going the way that we want it to go, and we have no idea that we are in trouble because everything is just smooth sailing. And maybe God's allowing suffering, maybe if you're experiencing it, through his providence to say, will you call out to me? Will you look to me only? Will you go to me first? Will you acknowledge that you need a savior? Your bank account, your relationships, your home, your toys, your whatever it is, it's not going to save you. 
Last one. We're almost done, guys. Not only does suffering bring sanctification, suffering brings a need of a Savior, but for alliteration, suffering for success or growth. And you'll notice that no matter how hard the Egyptian king tried to oppress the Israelites, what happens? They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're growing and growing and growing. Anybody in this room ever say, the times where I grew the most emotionally or spiritually have been the times where my life has just been super easy? No, nobody says that. Anybody who looks back at their life and says the time where I grew the most was the times where I went through some difficulty. If you're on a sports team, you, if, you, if your skill level is not up to par with the rest of the team, it does you some good to play with some players whose skill level is higher than yours. Why? Because it forces you to grow. It forces you to like, well, you're watching how this guy kicked the ball. You know, you like that, Zach White? You like that? That's soccer right there. That's a soccer move. <laughs> how the goalie jumps like this way, you know? Whatever it is, how the... I don't know, whatever sport you're playing, if you play with a team who's above your skill level, what happens? You start to rise to that skill level because it's difficult. If you have a coach who's pounding on you, if you have a dad, if you have a boss, I'm not talking about oppressive. I'm talking about, come on, man, you could do this. Step it up. Hey, that was wrong. That was, man, my coach is so mean. He's always, no, he wants because he wants you to grow. And some guy, sometimes God allows suffering to come in your life to grow you. He's like, man, he's like, sometimes he's a little tough love on us. He's like that little asthmatic weakling boy who like, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, that was wrong. He's like, sometimes he just, it's okay, you're not going to drown him right here. But I'm going to put you in the deep end. I'm going to watch you. And you're like, you're trying, you're so mean. I'm not so mean. I love you. I'm allowing this to happen because I want to grow you. And we often, we, we, we say to God, oh, you're a mean God, or you're allowing me to go through this, you don't love me. And God's providence, he allows us to go through suffering to grow us. Remember the promise that Israel had that you will be a mighty nation? The other option that we have this morning is to go the way of Pharaoh. Often what we do is we think of Pharaoh as the big bad guy, which he is. He's the oppressive meanie in the story. And we disassociate ourselves. We say, well, we're not the Pharaoh. We're the Israelites. But what I would like to tell you this morning, that's incorrect. Because there's so many times where we play the role of Pharaoh. See, to reject God's providence is to hold on to pride. And that's where Pharaoh went wrong. He was rejecting God's ways, rejecting God's promises, rejecting God's will for this nation. He says, ah, we got we to gotta stomp out these people. I don't like what's happening here. This is getting too dangerous for me. I don't like, I'm not comfortable with this. And it's easy for you and I, when suffering comes, when things aren't going our way, is to let pride rise up in our heart and say, no, 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 God. Obviously, you, you, you've got the script wrong. Remember Kelly said there's like a musical theme and you're not following that musical theme. I reject what you're doing. I'm going to do things my own way. 
and we play the role of Pharaoh. And God's calling us, as we prayed earlier, to say, God, I really don't like the fact that my dad's sick. I don't like the fact that I'm, I'm a little afraid to look at my bank account. I don't like the fact that there's this relationship right now that is not going the way I want it to go. I don't like the fact the relationship with my kids, it's not, you know, or my, boss, my, my work situation, or, you know, I'm dealing with this sickness or and there's anxiety in my life. I don't like all this stuff. And so what I want to do is go, nope, I'll fix it. I can take care of it. I'll be the master of my own sea, right? And so for you and I, the call this morning is to go, God, I trust your providence. Even in suffering, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't look like things are going my way, I will trust you. I want to just end with this. Look at the end of chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Verses 23 through 25. What I'm not telling us this morning is just put on big boy pants, suck it up, buttercup, right? Just, just deal with it. Life's hard. And, and be a strong Christian. Yes, life is hard. But look at these verses. Verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery, slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Isn't that beautiful? God knew. I have that highlighted in my Bible. That doesn't negate the fact that suffering will happen. What we like to do is just jump to this little portion of Scripture, right, and go, I'll just read this. There's a couple chapters before that. But this gives us hope in the midst of our suffering, guys. That yes, God's will, his providence could be tough at moments. And sometimes there's blessing and we experience both. But it's not just so that I on my own strength get through this. It's the fact that I know that when I call out to God, he hears. When I call out to God, he sees. When I groan, I say, God, I don't know if I can handle any more of what's going on in my life. This is too hard for me to bear. The Bible says that God hears every prayer and he knows. We're not on our own. We're not, if, if this was just a religion, then I'd say, hey guys, we can do it, right? We can do this. If we just get excited about it enough, if we just stand shoulder to shoulder and link arms and sing a song and sway back and forth when those times get tough, that's, I don't know. The, <laughs> we can do it. But I would be doing you a misservice this morning because that is not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we can't do it. God gives us, allows things to happen in our life more than what we can handle. Why? So that we call out to him and say, God, I can't do this. And he says, now you get it. God, I, I can't handle this on my own. I know you can't. I allowed you to go through this so you would say that very thing, so that you would call on me. 
I allowed you to do this because this process of what's happening in your life right now, it's separating your heart from the things of Egypt. See, I saw that there was too much Egypt in your life, and I love you so much that what I'm allowing to happen is painful, but what it's going to do is going to make you more pure. It's going to make you more like Jesus. And our role is to say, okay, God, I trust you to do that. I trust that you said these things in the beginning, that you're going to complete it and finish it. I trust that even when I can't see it, you can see it. All I have to do, God, is say, I can't do this on my own. And you will supply the grace for me. Amen? Let's stand.